Hello, everyone. You're listening to the DSG Connect podcast. As one of the world's leading dental laboratory networks, we value connection. And in alignment with that value, the DSG Connect podcast is here to serve you. Our goal is to elevate voices in dentistry. You know the ones, world changers, innovators, disruptors, true leaders, the people making a difference and bringing world-class solutions to our industry and communities. Our guests will educate, inspire, and share what is working, how to pivot when things go sideways, and everything in between. Wherever you find yourself listening, thank you. Hello, everybody. Heidi here back on the DSG Connect podcast. Today, we are talking sleep disorder and solutions, sleep medicine and all it includes. We have a true expert on with us today, Dr. John Viviano, and I'd like to welcome you on now. Thank you so much for joining us. Heidi, thanks for the invite. Pleasure to be here. You are welcome. You and I got familiar with each other when you did some webinars with Dental Services Group, and I was just uh, blown away by all of the information that you had to share. I'm excited to hear more. My pleasure. I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started on this journey. Well, it's interesting, Heidi. Uh, about 1996, uh, on a Tuesday night, working alongside four hygienists, so it was about 7.30. I was booked till 9, but I, I felt like I was going to be there till about 11 because I was behind and there was emergency coming. I had a syringe in my hand. I was ready to freeze this patient up so that I could go do my hygiene checks, come back and do her MODVL. And she couldn't stop talking about her husband snoring. And she was going on and on and on and on and on. Oh, my <laughs> <And> goodness. <laughs> all, you know, of course, you know, I had my compassionate face on, empathetically listening. But inside is all I could think is, can you please be quiet? <laughs> that, those weren't the words I was thinking. <laughs> so I can freeze you up and go sure. get my checks done and get back in here and do your filling. That was my level of interest. Well, that was a Tuesday night. On that Friday, I was at a cosmetic dentistry course, and um, from the distance out in the, in the lobby where all the, the labs and everything had their, their tables set up, I saw a big sign, snoring. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what, what I thought. And so I walked over, and uh, there was a lady there I met for the first time. Her name's Joanne Friedman. It was a dental <laughs> services group at uh, a table. And I, I, I said, what can we do for snoring? You know, she showed me three appliances. At that time, it was a silencer with a flexite body, the, the tap one, you know, that little protrusion sticking out uh, between the lips, and the clearway. And uh, she, she handed me a couple of papers that had been written, the Schwitt Noara landmark paper of 1995, and, um, and a couple of other documents. And then she went on talking to her other people there. Yeah. And I, I, I looked at the appliances, walked away, spent the rest of the afternoon reading through these papers rather than listening, went home, spent the weekend on the internet, reading everything I could get a hold of. And wow. by Monday, I arrived at the office with little tri-fold folded uh, pamphlets that I had made up, advertising a one-hour uh, evening program for my patients 
so I could talk to them about how I could help them with their snoring and sleep apnea. So I went from <laughs> zero to a hundred, literally, it was like a complete paradigm shift in, in my interest and passion and so forth. I haven't stopped reading about it, learning about it, or talking about it since. And it was really a complete about face, zero interest to this is what I want to do. Uh, once I read the impact we could have on our patients' lives, I didn't know that was possible. When she right. was talking to me about snoring, I said, what can I do for snoring? I'm a dentist. I can make mm -hmm. your teeth look pretty. I can make them function well. I can get you out of pain. I mean, this is what I do. I can't help you with your snoring. But once I realized the opportunity that was there and the impact I could have, not only on the snoring, but the longevity of patients' lives and the quality of their lives, you know, the, the, those suffering from, mm -hmm. from sleep disorder breathing. Yes. I was just blown away that we could actually impact on people's lives at that level. And so that became my passion then for the rest of my dental career. That is so amazing that earlier in the week you'd had no interest and you sure. know you were you were on task and then later in the week it just completely changed your life. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I have people in my family that have been affected by sleep apnea and the different solutions that are out there. For a doctor who's in your position or not the position you are now, but the position that you were in then and not really understanding the true impact that they can make, what is sleep medicine? Well, okay, if we talk sleep medicine generally, I mean, that, that's a much broader uh, umbrella involving all sorts of things like narcolepsy, circadian rhythm disorders, insomnia, um, restless leg syndrome, and so forth. Uh, what, what we get involved in with dentistry is snoring and sleep apnea, which is under the umbrella of breathing-related sleep disorders. So that would be sleep disorders dentistry. That's, that's what we do. And um, so these are people that have a problem breathing properly through their sleep cycle because their airway collapses and uh, stays shut too long because that's sort of a normal physiological event. It's only sure. a problem if it lasts uh, too often, if it's too um, long and if it's too often, right? So then they have uh, sleep apnea. Now their, their sleep cycle's disrupted. They're not spending enough time in deep sleep and not, not enough time in REM sleep. And this impacts on their physiology, their restorative system. Their bodies are not recovering and getting ready for the next day. Their brain's not recovering, getting ready for the next day. There's all sorts of hormones that are supposed to be produced during those stages of sleep that just doesn't happen. And so there's all sorts of outcomes uh, that has serious medical disorders associated with not spending time in stage three sleep and REM sleep, aside from what we know of as being tired. Okay? And then of course, there's the rattling around of the soft tissues we know as snoring. And that's what we get involved in as dentists is helping patients deal with that, you know, the, the breathing related sleep disorders. Sure. Yeah. So how can a clinician add value to their patients and practice by implementing a sleep medicine into their practice? Well, you know, there's different numbers available for this statistic, but easily, but you know, 30 million um, folks in the U.S. have, have uh, sleep apnea and uh, in Canada, 3 million. And you know, we're talking worldwide approaching a billion, yet, you know, 80 to 90% of these people remain undiagnosed. So wow. those patients in your practice, you know, you, you have, if you're not screening, you have a wealth, you have so many of them 
that suffer from this quietly and not realizing, first of all, that you have something to offer or, or that there is a dental alternative because they often don't hear about it from the physician. And, and if they can't tolerate PAP, and we can talk about that, you know, what, what the, how common that is, you know, they're basically sitting in limbo. So um, dentistry is a well-positioned to change it up and deal with this really epidemic level or pandemic because it's a worldwide issue level problem uh you know where it has pandemic right now with covid that's getting a lot of airplay well you know this sleep apnea pandemic has been around for 30 years and it's only getting worse with the increase in obesity you know the the numbers are going up constantly so you know this is something that we're living with continually and people unfortunately have a shortened lifespan and um and have a, a poorer quality of life as a result of this pandemic level problem that exists and that dentistry can be playing a major role in uncovering and helping these patients get the help they need Wow. That's a really huge opportunity to help patients. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know what I, I liken it to Heidi is uh, what we do with uh, periodontal disease. What's expected of us as a dentist, a patient comes in, you screen them for periodontal disease, you document it and you make the appropriate recommendations. And then, you know, they, you're either doing that work or you're referring them out to a periodontist to do that work, right? Uh, well, I liken it to that where if a patient comes into your practice as a general dentist, you should be screening them for a breathing related sleep disorder, for snoring and sleep apnea. And you can either refer them off to somebody that you know that does that work, or you can participate in doing that work. But the bottom line is every patient that's going through your system is getting screened and, and then is being triaged appropriately, as opposed to sitting in a limbo and not doing anything, which is currently the case. Wow. Yeah. They may not even know that they have an issue that they, you know, can have solved, or maybe they do know that they have it, but they're not sure how to do it and that it could be solved by a, a dental appliance. You hit it on the head. There's both things happening. Sure. They may not know, right. And it's undiagnosed altogether mm -hmm. or they have been diagnosed and they've tried CPAP, the medical alternative, which is conservative and works, but has a very poor compliance. And they drop out of that and they don't get offered an oral appliance. They don't hear about it from the physician and they just sit in limbo. And so those, those two categories out there, you know, and mm -hmm. a, a dentist implementing a screening program will catch those two groups and get them taken care of and get them to a better place. Hmm. It seems like it would be as easy as to implement when you go in for a cleaning and you would just, a doctor could add that part to his protocol. You know, you get screened for oral cancer and then take it to that next level. There's so many opportunities. It could be done even in the reception area while they're waiting to come in for their appointment. They could be filling out a literature validated questionnaire of about eight questions while they're sitting in the chair with a hygienist typing in the work she did that day. It, there are so many different opportunities that could be implemented into your regular protocol to make sure everybody has that screening. The discussion only needs to take place with the dentist should the little screening effort uncover something. If it doesn't, mm. it just gets documented that th this goes in the file, right? You know, that right. th this is a screening that took place. It's a non-event, right? But mm -hmm. if it uncovers something, 
there could be a protocol to have a short discussion right there and then, or it could result in, you know, we need to set up an appointment for you to come in to doc, talk to Dr. So-and-so because uh, this, you know, this questionnaire indicates that there might be an issue going on. And I, I think it would warrant some type of a discussion, right? So it depends on how you want to run your officers, ways you can, you can make it happen seamlessly so it doesn't throw things off. You know, mm -hmm. or you could have um, somebody that's uh, really knowledgeable within the practice that could be then um, go into a consult room with that patient after their appointment to have a short discussion prior to setting the time with the doctor. There's so many different ways that could be done, sure. but it all starts with the simple screening. Yes, it does. And I just think it's a huge benefit to a patient to have another one of their healthcare providers taking a, a look at them and providing them overall health. I mean, it, it affects the blood pressure and, you know, heart disease and so many different things. And those are all things that I, you know, learned from you on the webinar. So <laughs> I, I want to take a deeper dive as we are talking about it. What are some of the benefits versus CPAP and oral health appliances? Well, CPAP works pretty well. hundred percent of the time they can eliminate the sleep disordered breathing. So the issue is not whether it's going to work or not. The issue is, can the patient tolerate wearing it and will they wear it? And the, the reality is that about a third of patients love CPAP, take to it like a fish in water, run around like missionaries, telling everybody how fantastic it is. About a third of patients struggle with it. They, they stick with it because they actually do feel the benefit when they wear it but they struggle with it for a variety of reasons and they only wear part of the night and then take it off. So they're suboptimally managed. And a third of patients either refuse to try it up front or try it and drop off very quickly, just cannot tolerate wearing it. So, you know, you're really only helping two thirds of the patients, but only half of those, only a third optimally. That's the Achilles heel of CPAP. Now with oral appliances, we don't always reduce the apnea down to below five and physicians, uh, which is the normal range and physicians, you know, hold that against us um, saying, well, you know, that doesn't work. You, you only brought the apnea down to 12 events per hour. You still have mild sleep apnea, but what they don't take into consideration. And typically this is typical right across the board is the fact that, well, wait a second, you know, they're wearing their CPAP four hours every night and then taking it off. Whereas they're wearing their oral appliance all night long. They're wearing it for seven and a half hours. They're wearing it for Big eight difference. hours. Yes. So the net number of events that happen all night long actually can be less with the appliance than is with CPAP, depending on, you know, the, the baseline CPAP, um, uh, apnea level and so forth. Right. So, you know, uh, it, it depends on your optics and how you're evaluating the problem. If the sole criteria is, well, will it get it down below five? An oral appliance is not going to fare as well as CPAP. But if you look at it more from an effectiveness point of view overall for the evening, um, oral appliances actually are quite equivalent to CPAP when you factor both compliance and how efficacious it is at reducing the apnea level, right? So it's different. That's a sort of a new way of looking at it. Uh, it's called mm -hmm. mean disease alleviation. Although it's been in the literature, um, because in, see, in 2013, they finally had a little microchip they can put into an appliance. So they 
finally could get objective measurement of patient usage of an oral appliance. Up until then, it's just questionnaire, which everybody dismissed as, well, we don't believe it. Once they had objective ways to measure how long the patients wear an oral appliance, it's easy then to make a direct comparison to CPAP. And that's Absolutely. when they, 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 they could figure out that the mean disease alleviation for oral appliances and CPAP is about 50% for both, right? The Achilles right. seal for, for CPAP being how long they wear it and the Achilles seal for oral appliances being how um, much of the apnea do they get rid of, right? Mm -hmm. Interestingly, right across the board, when you're looking at health outcomes, whether it's um, daytime vigilant tests, driving stimulation, simulation tests, whether it's uh, cardiovascular system outcomes, uh, mortality, whether it's blood pressure improvement, right across the board, CPAP and oral appliance fares equally in all of the meta-analysis type studies and reviews that have been done and reviews of the literatures and comparison studies that have been done. So when you, you are in, in essence factoring in both compliance and how effective it is at reducing the apnea, oral appliances and CPAP is very equivalent to each other and it shows up in the outcomes uh, associated with both therapies. Now, that's what the literature tells us, but things are slow to change. There's a very strong bias with regards to CPAP. Often physicians don't even mention an oral appliance to patients, uh, or if they do, they say, well, they don't always work. And what they mean by that, they don't always get the apnea down below five. There's none of this other discussion that goes on. You know, So those are the patients that you can salvage in your practice. In your practice, in every dental practice in North America, you have patients that have been told an oral appliance won't work for you and they can't tolerate CPAP. And as a result, they are not doing anything for their sleep apnea. So unless you as their dentist, educate them in this and bring them into the loop, whether you're going to be helping them with the appliance or whether you're gonna be referring them off to somebody you know that does that, it's your call. As the dentist, you can decide at what level you want to get involved in, but mm -hmm. you know, bring them into the loop and, and get them the help they need because otherwise, honestly, they will live shorter and they will have a compromised life and you have the power to change that as their dentist. And that's what absolutely hooked me back in 1996 when I first heard about this, when I realized, wow, I can impact on a patient's life to that degree? That's I love, cos I love <laughs> cosmetic dentistry. It's fun, but I'm sorry, this trumps it. Wow. I can, if I can increase a patient's lifespan by several years and give them a good quality life while they're living longer, I, I don't know that anything we can do in dentistry would beat that. It's a huge opportunity. Um, in some cases, a missed opportunity within the practice to, to benefit your patients like I was saying before, to give them overall care and to elevate your practice. It's a real differential between other practices, I would think. It's a huge practice builder. Mm -hmm. These patients will become so devoted to you and they'll go tell their uncle, their aunt, their brother, <laughs> yeah. their sister and everybody. So, I mean, you know, you help somebody with their sleep apnea, you take them from sitting in limbo and not having any solution being offered up by anyone. 
and you take them into a good place, they will be devoted to your practice and you for the rest of your career. So it is a huge practice builder. I heard you talk about so many different things on the webinar. Can you talk a little bit about combination therapy and what that may mean for patients? With an oral appliance, remember I mentioned that it doesn't always bring the apnea down to below five into the normal range. That's our our, our Achilles heel, right? And so um, what we look at is this. For some patients, we'll get them down into a normal range or close enough that everybody's happy. So that for them, the appliance is the whole journey. For other folks where we make a meaningful drop in their, in their apnea level, but you know, there's still some residual apnea we'd like to see get rid of. Well, this is where we use adjunctive therapies along with the oral appliance to help take them the rest of the way. And for some, it could be simply staying off their back. So positional therapy. For others, it would be advancing the appliance some more because now they've worn it for a while and they they can actually tolerate further advancement or it might be changing up the vertical so these are actually a further adjustments to the appliance for others it could be you know stepping up the efforts for weight loss you know um, combination therapy oftentimes refers to combining CPAP and oral appliance therapy why that helps basically is the appliance is doing part of the work So now the CPAP pressure can be substantially lower, much more comfortable for the patient to to use. And they've actually demonstrated that, that outcomes associated with combining those two therapies together, CPAP and oral appliance, are better than either alone. And also uh, adherence. You know, there Mm -hmm. was a study, a pilot study done about 10 years ago. And what they looked at is 10 patients that couldn't tolerate CPAP. They may have been appliance and the appliance reduced their apnea, but still they had, you know, too much, had residual apnea. So what they did is say, we're going to wear both together. And the interesting thing is when they wore both together, their apnea level was completely into their normal range or oxygenation was normal. Everything was good. But the interesting take home message for me there was, wait a second, We took 10 CPAP patients that couldn't tolerate wearing CPAP. And by adding an appliance, all 10 could tolerate wearing CPAP. So that to me was the take-home message. So combination therapy, adding CPAP and oral appliance together is a very powerful concept. You know, so when we have a patient that tried CPAP and they've got a serious level of sleep apnea and they can't tolerate wearing it, Oftentimes, this person falls off into the cracks, into the limbo. Mm -hmm. Nobody does anything with them. Well, if you're not going to do what I'm telling you you need to do, I can't help you. The physician turns around and walks away, and they're just left there in limbo. So by bringing them back in, if the appliance alone does not take care of their problem, you can add that with the CPAP, right? And, you know, there's a number of things that could be done for that patient that have not been done. And that's what the dentist can bring to the table in this, in this type of situation. So you've done a really great job of kind of taking us on the journey, like your journey where you started and how you can help patients. Maybe just to help even further explain what those benefits are for patients. What are those health benefits that you've seen with your patients as you've worked with other physician, you know, physicians and things like that. 
Well, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, do, you, do you know of any spouse that is thrilled to be sleeping beside somebody that's snoring away all night and waking up through the night in a, in a jolt and tossing and turning and everything? So we're talking about uh, there's a lot of problems, uh, marital issues that uh, go on, patient suffering, not only, yes. not only the, the, the patient, but mm -hmm. their bed partner. You know, so, you know, you talk about the impact you can have on, on, on improving relationships. It's huge. Okay. Especially mm -hmm. when you're looking at the level of snoring, where I'm going to say, uh, it's easy to say, I think very safely, you can say that 40% of 40 year old males snore, you know, and it goes up 10% each decade, right? Now, females are less, but by the time they get to 50, it's equal. Right. So, you know, well, you know, we're we're you know, there's there's a lot of suffering going on there. And that's not even medical, although there are some medical implications of having your sleep disrupted. Don't get me wrong. You know, but I'm, I'm talking about uh, the impact on, on marriages. Now, when we get into the uh, quality of life issues, when you're you're more prone to automobile accidents, if you have sleep apnea, you know, you're, you're going to if people like to think that they're working optimally, say they they work at a job that requires a really precision thinking, good memory, you know, uh, quick reaction. Forget it. Mm. You're just going to not do a good job. If you have sleep apnea, you will fail. You will not perform as well as your peers and you'll probably lose your job or you won't even go towards that dream job of yours because you just don't feel you can do it. Mm. Right. So it, it impacts on your quality of life, your type of work, your ability to perform. Um, now we're talking about medical issues. You know, well, I mean, heart attacks, stroke, diabetes, um, you know, weight gain. You know, when you're not spending time in stage three uh, sleep, you know, the ghrelin leptin ratio gets messed up because of lack of production of, of, of the hormone. And what happens is now you have more appetite than you should. You're less satiated when you eat than you should be. And so you overeat. And now it's easier to gain weight. So, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, there was a, an interesting little poster I saw once, you, uh, you snooze, you lose, you know, um, um, and what they're talking about is if you sleep eight hours a night, right, you'll lose weight, you'll weigh less than if you sleep six hours a night. Right. So everybody so you, wants that. You, you snooze, <laughs> you lose. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, you know, so we know these relationships exist. We know what's happening and we know why it's not the sleep apnea. It's not the airway closing down that causes these things. It's the fact that you're messing up the amount of time you're spending in your stage three sleep and REM sleep that's leading to these medical problems. So mm -hmm. it impacts on so many aspects of our life. Did I mention libido? Did I mention hearing? Did I mention glaucoma? You know, uh, psychology, depression, mood swings. You know, there's so many different aspects of our life are impacted on by um, not spending sufficient time in stage three sleep and in uh, REM sleep. Is there data, I'm sure that there is, on how long people typically go before they're diagnosed? Probably it would be frightening. I, I, I'm sure it's been published, but I, I don't have any off the, the top of my head. I would actually be interested sure. in that if you've come across it. But yeah. um, it, it would be frightening, I'm sure, because you have to understand, number of papers have, talk, have spoken to this, that anywhere between 80 to 95% 
but the range that I've seen in the different publications of severe sleep apnea is undiagnosed. So not only is it a problem, how long it takes before somebody gets diagnosed, we have so many that are undiagnosed and continue to be undiagnosed because no one is screening for them. The ones that end up getting diagnosed are the ones that scream for help or something happens. They're in an automobile accident because they fell asleep at the wheel or, you know, there's a spouse encouraging them and pushing them to go, you know, you got to look into this. This isn't right. You know, something's going on here. Right. And of course, we know that women are much better at bringing themselves in to get the care and the help they need for men. Oftentimes, that's the spouse insisting they better go in you know, to do that. And that's, that's just a gender thing, right? Um, so, so uh, I don't know what that statistic is that you're asking, but I can tell you it would be frightening if we knew what it was. I'm sure it would be. I, I'm just thinking that it would be interesting to see where that is now. And then if more doctors started implementing it in their dental practices, how that we could shrink that number and we could help just by sharing this information today and having doctors adapt that into their practice and see where that number would go. Huge benefits. I see huge benefits and I could talk to you all day, but (laughs) I know that you're super busy. What final thoughts do you have? Or is there anything that um, I may have not touched on that you would like to chat about? To me, whenever I have an opportunity to have a a conversation like this, the take home message I I try to leave people is with is, is the importance of getting involved. You know, um, we're healthcare providers and we went to school to learn how to, you know, make teeth healthy and function well, look nice. And, and, and we do so many really, really cool things in dentistry, you know, amazing, you know, um, uh, what, what we can do to the dentition and improve a patient's quality of life. Um, and so adding this to your practice is the real deal. I mean, it really differentiates you from everybody else on your block. You know, there's a huge need and there's a lot of dentists working to the top of their game with regards to making teeth look pretty and, you know, doing root canals and getting patients out of pain and so forth. But we still have very few dentists really passionately involved in this field. And there's such a huge need. So I would ask um, dentists to consider you know, um, learning the basics, implementing a screening program. And then, you know, at first, you know, just referring those patients, no problem. And if you get the bug and you decide you really want to get into it on a higher level, there's a lot of great CE providers through North America that will teach you how to do this in an evidence-based manner, do wonderful things for those patients. And you will be so satisfied with that aspect of your practice. I know you will be. Thank you for your encouraging, uplifting message today. It just feels like such a message of hope to me for those that are suffering and may not even know that they are suffering and what a difference that our industry can make on their lives. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Where can our listeners connect with you if they have any questions or get more CE and want to take more time to dive in? Sure. Well, if anybody would like to ask me any questions, my email is very simple. John at drviviano.com. So there's no periods or anything, just drviviano.com. So feel free to email me. Uh, my my uh, online learning platform is 
sddacademy.com. SDD is Sleep Disorders Dentistry. So sddacademy.com. There is hours, literally hours of free content. I haven't added it up recently, but there's got to be about 25 hours of, of free content on that website. Um, wow. Of course, there's, the, there's paid for programs, but, um, but you know, you can go visit the website and just dabble and, 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 and take the free content and learn a lot, just certainly enough to, to screen and, and, and just start to uh, decide whether you want to get involved in this or not. Thank you so much. Appreciate everything today, Dr. Viviano. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Heidi. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for listening. We invite you to subscribe to DSG Connect on iTunes or Spotify. Take a minute to refer a friend or colleague and help us spotlight this podcast by leaving us a review. In between episodes, stay connected with us. Have a topic in mind? Send your suggestions to podcast at dentalservices.net. Also, did you know we have webinars? Check them out at dentalservices.net slash edu. We believe we're stronger together. Until next time, enjoy your day.